let's pray together. Lord, we love you tonight, and we're glad to be in your house. Thank you for the opportunity we have to assemble ourselves together. Pray your blessings upon our Awana time. Bless our Bible study. We'll thank you and praise you. In Christ's name, amen. Everybody face that American flag right there in that upper left-hand corner. Put hand on the screens. Put your hand over your heart. Attention. Salute. Pledge. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one state, under God, indivisible, and justice for all. And our Christian flag, attention, salute, pledge. I pledge allegiance to the Christian flag and to the Savior for whose kingdom it stands, one Savior, crucified, risen, and coming again with life and liberty for all who believe. Grab your Bibles if you got them, or even your iPhone. You're pledging to your iPhone if you use that, all right? Attention, salute, pledge. I pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a lamp into my feet and a light into my path and hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. All right, everybody can be seated for 30 seconds. Need to, we need to transition real quickly. Normally, if we've got anything business-wise, we do it at the end, but this is not going to take but a minute, and I don't want to ask you all to have to come back to, to do this very little thing. Uh, all of you who are members here, you know that we have a couple of different accounts. We've got a checking and building fund, which is combined into our checking account. Then we've got money market and CDs. Uh, one of the only advantages to the current financial climate that we're in is that there are now CDs that are available that have significant return on investments that are greater than what we're getting right now. Our current CD gets 0.25% interest, which might as well be zero. Can I get an amen? There are CDs out there now that uh, we can get 3% and above, and so I'm bringing to you two proposals tonight. First one is to transition our money market and current CD out of our current account into a much greater interest-bearing account. At uh, uh, We would be going from Carter into Valley Star, okay? doesn't matter which bank it is. We're going to the one that gives us the most money. Can somebody say amen, all right? So we would take those two accounts, which are drawing minimal interest, transition them over into Valley Star CD, which gets a whole lot more interest, three plus percent. Now, we will incur a slight penalty because of cashing in the CD uh, before it matures. However, the interest that we get supersedes the small penalty that we will incur. We still make money. Questions about that before we go to the second thing. All right. Okay. If anybody opposes, then you get to pay the interest that we're not accruing. All right. So somebody make a motion that we accept. Thank you, Brother Mike. Thank you, Brother Cassidy. All in favor, if you'll say aye. aye. On any new account, we have to approve our budget signatories. All of our budget signatories are Brother Scott and Teresa. Teresa is, uh, of course, uh, our primary signatory. Scott signs as well. And then uh, Leanne is our third, our tertiary signatory. So we need to approve that they are the signatories on this account. Would somebody please make a motion that we accept? Thank you, Brother French. Brother King, all in favor, if you'll say aye. Any opposed? Very good. Cubbies, you can head on out tonight. Play for us, Mr. Nay. Sparks are right behind. Give me a five, high five, high five, high five.
Amen. As we stand all over the building tonight, let's grab us a hymn if you want to. Hymn book, page 169, or you can look on the screen. Come thy fount of every blessing. We'll sing all three verses of that. Let's come thy fount. Come thy fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Calls for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sign and sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it. Mount of thy redeeming love. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I come. And I know by thy good pleasure safely I'll arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. Oh, to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to song, Brother Ken. Thank you for singing that. Let's all stand, remain standing. We'll open up in a word of prayer. Let me give you just a couple of quick prayer requests, and you all come on, get ready to sing for us. Please pray for little Jacob Crenshaw. Uh, that's, of course, Britta's son and Carlton's son. He had to have his tonsils removed today. Had a few complications this afternoon. Pray for him, if you would. Remember Brother Richard King. He's had some minor surgery, having some issues there. Uh, pray for Sister Teresa Terry. Uh, Teresa went yesterday for some uh, unusual symptoms, and they diagnosed her that she's had a mini-stroke. She's doing okay, so praise the Lord for that. But please pray for Sister Teresa Terry. Continue to, of course, pray for the Kitzmillers and the Bolins. Wonderful service yesterday in honor of Brother Buck. And pray for Sister Shirley Price. She hopes to be transferred tomorrow to a rehab center uh, out of the hospital, but lift her up in prayer. Lord, we love you tonight. And again, glad to be in your house. Lord, bless us this evening as we open up the precious Word of God. And, and illuminate it for us now in Christ's name. Amen. Sing, folks.
sung this song last week, but I can't get over the words of grace greater than our sins. Aren't you thankful for grace tonight? Let's all stand together. It's hymn 208 in your blue songbook there. We'll sing three verses of it tonight. Grace greater than our sin.
on. Keep playing, Miss Renee. Uh, teenagers, head on out this evening, if you would, please. The rest of us, let's turn to 1 Thessalonians, please, chapter 5 tonight. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5 this evening. First Thessalonians chapter 5 tonight, folks, we will read two verses of Scripture this evening. I want to uh, begin my comments tonight by giving you a 30-second blurb as to where this message actually came from. It's a course of a couple of conversations that I've had, frankly, the last of which was today, actually, with someone who came to see me, had an appointment, came to my office to see me about an educational matter, and as often happens in situations like that, the conversation turned just a bit spiritual because they recognized my position as pastor and said, uh, looked at me and said, uh, Dr. Hodges, um, a quick preview of three articles today uh, left me in a very bad state of affairs. I knew exactly where he was going. I said, what three headlines are you talking about? He said, woke up yesterday morning and the headline was the murder of three UVA students. Woke up this morning, and though it did not receive quite the attention here locally, it was still a national story to see the murder of four University of Idaho students. That was quickly followed by a news report that talked about someone plowing into the sheriff's department in L.A. and injuring 25 uh, uh, trainees, five of which were critically injured. And he looked at me and he said, has church lost its impact upon culture? He, he was a very legitimate question. In fact, what he said to me as he walked out the door, he said, does church really still matter? And I looked at him and I said, well, you know, I'm, um, I have a very uh, uh, clear opinion on that. I think when the things get darker, the candle shines even brighter. In fact, I submit to you tonight that when we are in the darkest of times is when the candle of God's word shines the brightest. Another way to say it would be the dark society in which we need needs the light of Jesus Christ now more than ever. So I, I, I want to give you just two verses tonight that I refer to often, that whenever someone comes and talks to me about these kinds of situations, these kinds of topics, and ask a question like, does church still matter? Or have we gone beyond the era of church influence or church significance? I always come back to these two verses. So let's, let's look at them together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. I'll remind you that this is a letter written to the church. Church of Thessalonica, but it's the church. Now we exhort you, brethren, verse 14, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, Support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. I don't think anyone would disagree with the statement that simply says our culture is rapidly changing 
around us. I often joke about the fact that I was a teenager of the 80s. I grew up in the era of big shoulder pads and big hairdos. Can I get a witness? I grew up in the era where the higher the hair, the closer you were to Jesus, ladies. Amen. My mama, every day, some of you have heard me talk about this, every night, she'd get them hair pieces put in, and then she'd wrap the toilet paper around her hair because she didn't want to mess the beehive before she got up for work the next morning. In reality, that, that America is no longer here. I'm not talking about the hairdos. I'm not talking about the shoulder pads. I'm talking about the culture that was around when I was a teenager is no longer here. I'm not making a value statement. I'm making a simple statement. Our country has radically changed in the course of two generations. And in fact, in the course of two generations, we have transitioned from what both secular and Christian sociologists refer to as a Judaic Christian society to one that is now called a post-humanistic society. What does that matter? What does the label matter? Well, the idea behind labeling us as a country, as a Judaic Christian country, had nothing to do with the population, but everything to do with the values. In other words, uh, when, when most of you were young, when you were, my, when you were a, a child or, or a teenager growing up in what was referred to as a Judeo Christian society, even those that weren't believers held to a standard of ethics that you could find in the Word of God. In other words, the baseline of what we thought and what we believed, even if someone wasn't a church attendee or didn't go to synagogue or didn't consider themselves of any particular faith, uh, there was that Judeo-Christian underpinning of our society that really guided the fabric of who we are. Okay? So what does it mean now to be both humanistic? What does it mean now if we're beyond the age of humanism? That means that we've transitioned from God being our ultimate authority to man being our ultimate authority. That may not seem like a big deal to you, but when we are debating over things like the basic meaning of life, it matters. I submit to you tonight that the culture we find ourselves in is rapidly changing. The values, the principles that were once underscoring the fabric of this country have fundamentally and radically shifted. So that begs the question, does church really still matter? Does church still matter? I submit to you tonight that we cannot, and I hope you'll get this statement if you don't get anything else, we cannot allow the current challenges of our modern culture to dictate the response to that question. It is easy to look at all the negative happening around us and say church is no longer relevant. Hear me. It does mean we can't do the things we did in the 70s and expect to get the same results. It does mean that church cannot be the church that was in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s and expect to have an impact. But it does not mean that church is no longer needed in this society. In fact, the darker society gets, the more they need the light of Jesus Christ. A couple more thoughts and then we'll get into the message tonight. If we choose to do nothing, which is often the case of churches, to be candid with you, many, there tends to be one of two responses with churches when things get really challenging in society. One response 
is to kind of bury your head in the sand and kind of, kind of think, I can't do anything, I can't have an impact. And if you don't try to have an impact, there's a guaranteed success you won't have an impact. The other one is the other extreme, if you will. It's to kind of circle in amongst yourselves and, and separate yourselves from the rest of society and only worry about that little group that's coming to your church. Can I, can I just say to you tonight, folks, if we're not engaging with our culture, if we're not engaging with our society, then we will never impact the culture and the community around us. So I'm going to give you a message tonight that has two simple thoughts. Number one, note with me, if you would please, our obligation. Our obligation. I'll invite you to go back to verse 14. You will see four groups of people that Paul singled out 2,000 years ago that need the church's attention. Say that again. Four individual groups that Paul specifically named and said, you need to pay attention to these four groups of people. And not only do you need to pay attention to them, I'm going to tell you how to handle them. Look, if you would, please, the first one. Notice what it says, verse 14. We exhort you, that means encourage. We encourage you, brethren, we're talking to the church. Warn them that are, what's that word? Unruly. Warn them that are unruly. Paul speaks of a biblical principle that is becoming increasingly neglected in our day. The church is obligated to call out sin in society. That's what it means to warn them that are unruly. The word unruly is actually a military term. It speaks of those who step out of rank, if you will, who get out of line, who are not in formation. There's a couple of ways you could look at that. You can think of that as the believer that steps out of line, but you can also think about of that as the unbeliever uh, who never got in line to begin with. The church is obligated. We are commanded by Paul under inspiration of the Holy Ghost to be the instrument, to be the trumpet, to sound loud the fact that sin still exists and it brings destruction. I am continuously amazed, candidly, by the anger that some people get when a preacher dares to talk about the three-little word, sin. We are putting question marks where God put periods. We are deciding that our humanistic philosophy is superior to God's ordained word. And as a result, we're seeing the consequences play out in front of us. We are to admonish. Let me also pause and say this. We can lovingly admonish without being unkind and mean. We've done much destruction and damage when we've been unkind in our admonishment. But I will also remind you, you don't have to turn but Ezekiel 33, verse 6 says, If the watchmen see the sword and blow not the trumpet, the people be not warned. It's a passage I refer to often in 1 Thessalonians here. It's one that I love to preach and teach out of because it's a reminder to us that our primary, our first obligation is to not stand down from the idea of calling sin, sin. Ezekiel 33, 7 goes on to say, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. 
Therefore thou shalt hear the word of thy mouth and warn them from me. I'll finish this little subpoint to say, in a day in which everything and anything and everybody wants to say yes, sometimes we have to be reminded when God says no, warn the unruly. There's a second group that is mentioned in this passage, and let's go to, again to verse 14. Again, notice we'll read it all, verse 14. Zort you, brethren, warn them that, un, that are unruly, comfort the, what's that word, church? Feeble-minded. When I was a kid growing up, feeble-minded meant, meant weak-minded. That's not what it means here. Someone who is feeble-minded is someone who might be getting dementia or Alzheimer's, growing old and having difficulty making standard comprehensions. That's not what is meant here. The word feeble-minded in this particular passage means those who are faint-hearted, weary in the faith, almost ready to give up and abandon their walk with God. Look at me, friends. That's happening all around us. The conversation that happened in my office today led to subsequent conversations that said things like this. It's no wonder with what society is facing that we're experiencing a mental health crisis. It's no wonder that we're seeing suicide rates escalate quicker than they've ever risen in the history of American civilization. It's no wonder, and we could go on and on and on about it, The reality is even the best amongst us find ourselves growing at times discouraged in the walk with God. Anybody who tells you that they've never been discouraged is lying. I don't care if they're a preacher or a normal person. Anybody who tries to convince you that there's something wrong with you because you get discouraged uh, has never walked a genuine Christian walk. The greatest Bible heroes in that book you're holding in your lap had times in their lives when they felt great discouragement. In fact, the examples are almost limitless. I'll give you just a couple You know several of the stories. Elijah grew so discouraged that he asked God to kill him. Christian uh, sociologists today, Christian sociologists, believe that Elijah was probably bipolar, that he probably suffered from what we, I grew up hearing as manic depression. Now it's not called that. It's called bipolar syndrome, where you have incredible highs, significant lows. Uh, And if you follow that out, if you read the story of Elijah, you will find that he goes from a mountaintop experience where he called fire down out of heaven. And 24 hours later, he asking God to kill him. That's just one example. There are several others in scripture as well. Job is often talked about the patience of Job, what a, cra- what a crazy misnomer. Job did not exude patience. Job had all kinds of questions. If you lost everything the way Job did, you would as well. Job's wife gets all kinds of flack. Man, I've heard preachers rip a new one on Job's wife. Job's wife lost her children, lost her home, lost her finances, lost her wealth, lost everything she had. I'm not surprised she didn't get a little bit discouraged, frankly. The reality is every single one of us. And I got to tell you, I've heard preachers that I love dearly stand up and just lay into people because they're getting discouraged in their walk with God. 
But my Bible says, if you'll go back and look at it quickly, what it says in that verse, verse 14, to comfort the feeble-minded. To comfort those who are discouraged. We are biblically commanded to comfort those who need us. I think the ministry of encouragement is the most needed ministry in our churches today. Please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. Thank God for talented musicians. Thank God for talented singers. Thank God for talented orators and pulpiteers and good Sunday school teachers and those who are willing to dedicate their time to teach our children and our teenagers. Thank God for all of those. But we need some encouragers, friend. The fact that we've got a great piano player and a wonderful organist is probably not going to encourage you on Tuesday morning when everything falls apart in your world. The fact that the fact that you heard a good Sunday school lesson or, or you enjoyed a song on Sunday morning and someone was very talented is probably not going to sustain you all week when the world starts falling apart around you. We need to invest in the ministry of encouragement. I also believe that, that, that everybody can impact somebody. Now, don't misunderstand me. You cannot be the one to encourage the thousands. But one of my favorite stories, I know I've told it to you before, but the father and, and, and son who are walking along the beach and millions of little starfish have washed ashore and the, the son starts tossing one into the, to, to back into the ocean to try to save it. And the father says, what are you doing? And the son says, I'm trying to save the starfish. And the father says, well, you can't save all of them. But he says, no, but I can save this one and this one and this one. You won't be the encourager to everybody, but you can sure be an encourager to somebody, and they in turn can be the encourager to you. Go back to our text. Number one, we're commanded in verse number 14 to warn the unruly, to comfort the feeble-minded. And note the next clause, to support the weak. To support the weak. What does that mean? How is that different from the feeble-minded, which means discouraged? Those who are weak in this case speaks of those who are easily tempted, easily led astray, and those whose discouragement transition to overwhelming defeat. Let me just pause a moment and say that I hear often from some people who say, nobody understands what it's like. Paul ministered in a day of tremendous gross sin and immorality. I've given you examples of some of the cities that Paul ministered to. Corinth was probably the worst. Corinth, by all accounts, was a wicked, ungodly city. The patron saint, if you will, of Corinth was Aphrodite. Temple of Aphrodite was there in Corinth, and to, it was manned by a thousand virgins at any given time, or a thousand prostitutes, excuse me, at any given time. And to worship Aphrodite meant to engage in, in sexual relations with those prostitutes. And there were those in the Corinthian church who wanted to bring that into church. You see, the polytheistic system that Paul dealt with was rampant throughout the known Roman Empire. And so to think that Paul doesn't understand what we face today is just, just silly. Different time periods bring different challenges, but everybody is tempted. 
everybody struggles. Everybody has issues. You never reach a place in our hearts and in our lives where someone can say, I'm immune to temptation. As you age, temptations change, things become different, but the reality is everybody gets led astray at times or is tempted to be led astray. What do we do? How do we handle it? Well, I'm not going to ask you to to jump a lot tonight, put your bookmark, but I want you to turn to one more place. Put your bookmarker there in 1 Thessalonians and go back just a few pages, if you will, to Galatians chapter number six. Galatians chapter number six. I think this is really one of the most important verses in scripture, especially among the Pauline epistles. One of the most important things that Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Look at first or Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man, of course we know man means person, man, woman, boy, or girl, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted lest thou also be tempted. The same author who said to the Thessalonican church to support the weak says that when you find someone who is weak and overtaken in a fall, you that are spiritual, lend a hand, not a mouthpiece. Amen. You that are spiritual, you that are still living among the straight and narrow, trying to walk with God, our commandment is to support them. Look at me, not talk about them. Our commandment is to support them and try to get them back into the fold. Bring them back so that they can be used of God. Bring them back under the teaching of, uh, of godly preaching and so that we understand that our job is, hear me now, is not to run them out but to try to get them back in. Not to run the, now, don't misunderstand me. We're not, we can do this without condoning sin. Somebody say amen. I'm not giving folks a license to sin here. I'm not suggesting that at all. But I am saying to you, this is what Paul means, consider thyself, because he is wise enough to know that the very thing we chastise somebody over could be our problem tomorrow. Let's go back to our text. We've gone through three bodies now. 1 Thessalonians chapter 14, excuse me, chapter 5, verse 14 says, Warn them that unruly, comfort the feeble minded, support the weak. And you know, I give a hearty amen to all three of those so far, but this next one gets me every time. I'm just going to be blunt with you. This next one I struggle with daily. Be patient. Toward all people, all men, but it means all people. Be patient towards all men. I have no issue with this conversation about comforting the feeble, supporting the weak. I have no issue whatsoever, even on, 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 on warning them that are unruly. But I got to tell you, sometimes I struggle on being patient with everybody. I have a philosophy, my son has heard this, ever since the day my son said he was going to be a preacher, I told him, you're going to work a public job first. He said, well, you know, there was a while he argued with me on it. I kept telling him, you have every right to be wrong, but you're going to work a public job first. 
Why, Daddy? Why, Daddy? Because you need to understand, first of all, the realities of what people go through on a daily basis. Number two, this is pure gradeology. Every preacher ought to have to work in the public. In fact, I believe everybody ought to have to work in the public. <laughs> everybody ought to experience what it's like to work with people. People that you love and even them that you don't like. That's the loudest one I get all night. People that you embrace and people that work your last nerve. People who think just like you do and people you're convinced are a few, happy, few fries short of a Happy Meal. I had a principal, loved him dearly, Bill Vickers. He was my favorite principal. He did things that you would never get by with today. He used to tell me every once in a while we would deal with someone who was just a little bit, little bit different, and he'd just look at me and he'd say, Mr. Hodges, their cheese has just slidden all the way off the cracker. People are challenging. And candidly, folks, in this crazy environment in which we live, people don't hide anymore their strangeness. <laughs> In other words, the, those personality flaws that we used to try to keep hidden and try to act like we had some sense, we don't even try to pretend anymore. Just put it out there and be stupid. And if you say something, you're wrong. Patient with them. Patient in a culture, listen, that's lost its mind. Be patient with all men. I almost think we could take that a step further that says love the unlovable. Love those that society has given up on. Love those that, that nobody else seems to want to embrace. Patient with all men. Let's go to our verse 15. We spent a lot of time unpacking verse 14, but let's go to verse 15. I want you to notice the last clause there, or the last verse there. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and all men. Well, the verse 14 is our obligation. Verse 15 is our opportunity is our opportunity. Let me, let me make a simple statement, church. I, I think you'll agree with me. You've been very supportive of everything I've brought to you. We will never, we as a church globally, collectively, but we as Stanley Town's Amazing Grace Baptist Church, will never impact our culture if we're not part of the community. One of the great mistakes I think this is Gregology, but I'm right. <laughs> One of the great mistakes that we made as a church movement in the 60s, 70s, and 80s was to become so separated that we stopped interacting with anybody who's not just like us. Now, don't misunderstand me. Separation's a biblical commandment. Separation is unquestionably a biblical commandment. 
Do you hear me? You can become so separated that you're not impacting anybody. And God did not leave us here to go over into a corner and worship on a Sunday morning and have no influence whatsoever. What am I talking about? There was a time, I'm going to give you two or three examples and we'll be done. There was a time where I would get so tore up over things that were said about us. Let me tell you some of the things that occasionally get said about us. Because we participate with ministries that are not exclusively independent Baptists, we get called ecumenical. Now, if you don't know what that word means, that means yoking up with anybody. We don't yoke up with anybody. We yoke up with fellow believers in Christ. I'm wise enough to know now you don't have to dot your I's and cross your T's exactly like I do in order for me to love you, in order for me to fellowship with you. Can I give you an example? I'm going on a rabbit trail, but I'm nearly done. The, the ministry that we took on this past Sunday to help drug, drug addicts in our community. One of the most important things happening in our community today, the ministry that we engage in in, in, in the summertime with op, uh, back to school, there are Baptist churches and Methodist churches and Presbyterian churches, and, and I have some wonderful Presbyterian friends. We joke about it all the time. In fact, some, I have a dear friend and a pastor brother that I love dearly who's a Presbyterian, and we joke about this all the time because when we are talking about leading someone to Christ, uh, the, oftentimes the Presbyterian church doesn't quite jihaw with us on that. And so I say to him, if you encounter somebody when you're doing back to school and you need somebody to lead them to the Lord, just call the Baptist church. We'll be right there at your doorstep. He laughs. We have a good time. Would you look at me, folks? That's impacting our community. Far more than just standing up here, shutting those doors, and the message just going to me and my four and no more. Last thing I want you to see. We'll be done tonight. Not just the admonition. It says, see that none render evil for any man. It's human nature for us to re want to return back. But note, if you will, please, the expectation, the last clause of verse 15. Ever following that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. I submit to you tonight that a church that is filled with love for people, warts and all, a church that is full of love will be a prosperous church. And a church that is full of strife and wrath will be a church nobody wants to be a part of. A church that openly and unapologetically loves people will be a church where people feel loved and welcome and a church that says if you're not just like us you can't come here will be a church where folks say good I don't want none of that anyway let's stand to our feet tonight thank you for your attention you've been so kind we have to be willing to engage the culture around us Thank you for your attention. Father, we love you tonight. And Lord, it is my heartfelt desire that we as Stanley Town's Amazing Grace Baptist Church will continue to have a heart for people. Continue to have a desire to show people what it means to 
love the Lord, love Jesus, love the lost, and love seeing the lost come to know the Lord Jesus. Lord, thank you for this congregation of believers. Thank you for their desire to impact our community in wonderful ways. Lord, may we never lose sight of this community that you've given us that is our Samaria. You told us to go into all the world. This is our Samaria. This is our Judea. May we be a blessing to those who reside in it. Bless us now as we depart. Bring us back Sunday as we will celebrate our Thanksgiving service. We'll thank you and praise you. In Christ's name, amen. You are dismissed. God bless you. Thank you for being here tonight.